Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Eric Camfield, the founder of Alter Fly Fishing. Eric shares his fly fishing journey, how that journey led him to found Alter, and his vision for its future. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping announcements. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And I wanted to give you a heads up on a multi-part nymphing series I'm working on with Jason Randall. We cover getting your flies in the zone, getting a good drift, and improving strike detection. We recently released our first episode with more to follow every two weeks or so. Check them out to see how you can win a TFO stealth rod and reel combo with a scientific angler's euro nymphing line. Now, on to the interview. Well, Eric, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thanks, Marvin. Good to be with you. Yeah, looking forward to our conversation tonight. And we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Uh That would go back pretty early. I mean, it might be three, four years old. My grandfather and I were fishing buddies. And I remember more than once he would wake me up at just about daylight, come over to our house. He'd say, get up, hoss, because that's what he would call me. He goes, we're going fishing. And so I put on my flannel shirt and I had this wicker hat with an alligator, rubber alligator on top of it. That was my fishing shirt or my fishing hat. And we would go fishing. And, you know, that was way before the cell phone days. And so, you know, we would leave at sun up and we wouldn't come back till dark. This is in Ohio. And, you know, so you're talking a good 14, 15 hours on the river. <laughs> and my mom was always worried. And she'd say, she goes, what were you guys doing? I was like, mom, we were fishing, you know, and I wasn't one of these squirrely kids. Like, and it was mostly bobber fishing, you know, panfish, and crappie. And, you know, if we were lucky, we'd get a bass or catfish along the way. But, um, but we would come home with stringer of fish and clean them up and eat them and fish them. But I, I, I just, I had such fond memories of those early years. And my grandfather and I got to share a lot of those. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I've got a picture in here in my office of me uh, fishing with my grandfather with a uh, bamboo pole. And, you know, it's funny, right? Because you come home and you kind of, you smell like brim and worm juice and um, you're sunburned, but it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Occasionally my grandma would meet us with a a big Dutch oven of fried chicken that she had made, which was soggy by the time she got it out to where we were fishing. But I, I wouldn't tra- trade those memories for anything. Uh, very, very neat. And so when did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? <laughs> so I, uh, I was in college. I was fortunate. I had a baseball scholarship. And, uh, so, so if I wasn't in class or on the baseball field, we were at one of the, the lakes in Southeast Ohio, where I went to college and, uh, we were fishing. And so I traded a gold chain that I never that I didn't really wear anymore for a fly rod at the pawn shop in the town where our college was. And I remember the first cast I made with that fly rod. And I think we probably watched river runs through it, right? So we were all inspired. And, uh, but I just remember that cast and the feel of that rod, which I'm sure I wish I still had it. I would put it up on the wall, um, as a memory, but I just remember I was, I was hooked. No, with pun intended, you know, with that first cast. And, um, and so, you know, we would mix that in with all of our fishing. And then I married into a fly fishing family, which was phenomenal, a Pennsylvania girl. And so they had been going to Penn's Creek, which we're actually going to do our first retreat at Penn's Creek in central Pennsylvania 
Joe Humphrey's home waters um, later this year. Uh, but for 40 or 50 years, the men in my wife's family, they go on the Penn's Creek to camp and fish for a week at a time. And so I got brought into that tradition. So it's been, it's just been great and something that's grown. And, you know, and I, the pendulum has always swung from, you know, whatever fishing, bass fishing, fly fishing mixed in to almost all purely fly fishing now with what we're doing with Alter. So. Yeah, very, very neat. And so who are some of the folks kind of outside your family that have mentored you on your fly fishing journey? Uh, fly fish, well, there's actually some formidable anglers in my wife's family, some uncles and cousins. And so, you know, if you're a learner, you know, you're always watching and pay attention to to the anglers around you. But I just, I remember little tips from the Uncle Dales and watching Jesse, how he was tight lining before they ever called it tight lining and Euro nipping and somebody's pocket waters. I'm like, why is he catching so many fish? And then as we progress, Jason Randall, uh, who I know you've had on your show a number of times, um, has just been, he's probably the biggest mentor on that Euro technique, tight line technique. And thanks to him that, you know, my fish count has gone up exponentially because of that but he's just a great guy and loves people and uh, the dave blackburn's up at uh the kootenai angler in libby montana like we've dave was like i think on our first board when we launched alter and we do a couple retreats with him but man, when you're around people that have been in the industry for a long time and are just masters of you just have to pay attention because they will teach you more than what you can ever use so i'm, I'm grateful for all of them yeah, very neat. What is it you think about uh, fly fishing that's uh, made it kind of stick with you over all these years? Um, I think I just love fishing in general, but I think fly fishing, there's something about the cadence of the cast. It just slows you down. And I'm a, I'm a personality that needs to slow down at times and just enjoy the grace and beauty that I think fly fishing offers more so than other forms of um of fishing you know we, we talk about the unforced rhythms of grace it's like casting a fly rod you know when you when you're hitting when you're allowing the rod to do what it was made to do and you just feel it release and it just shoots that line you know it's uh it's a special thing and and i love solving the puzzle right so part of it's the challenge i know in penn's creek and some other areas we fish there, there's such prolific hatches and trout can be a little persnickety so solving the puzzle of which of the bugs at which stage in a hatch and you know putting all that together it's uh you know jason randall has taught me this like you don't have to catch a lot of fish to learn to become a better angler like part of it is pay attention to the angling what's going on in the stream like that's that 360 approach of uh there's a lot of ways to get better uh, and there's a lot of ways to have a good day on the stream and it doesn't always translate in the number of fish, but if you're committed to that, oftentimes you're going to do okay on the fish count as well. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I find fly fishing for me is one of those things that kind of absorbs all that extra mental energy. Um, yep. and it's a problem that I can't always solve. Um, and so that kind <laughs> of, you know, I would, I would lose interest if I could kind of systematically hack it. Right. And, uh, right. yeah, so it's an interesting thing. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more later about your work at Alter, but, you know, kind of in doing research for the interview, you know, I saw, you know, cause Alter is one of many things that you do. And I saw kind of, I don't know, a handful of themes, 
um, that I thought we could kind of talk about before we talked about altar specifically. And, you know, one of the interesting things is, you know, Eric, we see, um, you know, the healing power of nature uh, manifest itself in so many outreach programs, you know, whether, you know, it's Project Healing Waters or Casting for Recovery. I mean, there are lots of groups um, that have really found this as a vehicle for healing. And I just kind of wanted to kind of get your thoughts on kind of the healing power of nature. Yeah, well, I think you're dead on. And what's fun is, I mean, you can go to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, like articles are popping up more and more. And the, the sciences are starting to, I mean, the research is now starting to back it. We've kind of always maybe instinctually known, man, if I can just get out in the woods or I can get in the stream, like it just, you know, reduces anxiety or just helps people find release and connection. You know, I, I come from a pastor, a lot of ministry background. So people say like, you know, well, you know, the, the river is my church or the woods are my church, but, but I get it. Like I never refuted people because I think there is some, there's something powerful that happens when we're in nature or creation. Um, and what's interesting, I know of at least two, maybe three books that are coming out, not from any type of faith background. I mean, this is from the sciences that are saying, wow, hey, there's something to cortisol levels and different things, brain chemistry and that stuff. When we get away and get out in nature, like it, it has a, a physiological impact on us, moving water and that stuff has an impact on us. And so um, I wasn't smart enough to put all that stuff together early on. I just knew what it meant for me and what it meant for a lot of others. So we just, we want to put people in environments where good stuff can happen and we just bring, and I know we'll talk more about this. We just want to bring some intentionality into those spaces so we can maximize the beauty of nature and fly fishing and all that we experience there. But also when we're in that space, say what are some other conversations or things that we can key in on that just might move the needle in life? Because today there's just not, we're on so often that we have to, I, I push people all the time, be intentional to get time away. It's one of the things that will shape and form your life. And if you can get in nature, get outside, um, I think it just amplifies that. So there's, you know, whatever background you come from, whatever approach you want to take, I think almost all listeners would say, yeah, there's something awesome, whether I get on the golf course in the stream or whatever, when I get out in the way and you just can enjoy the beauty of creation. Like it has an impact more than whatever the activity you're doing. Like there's something that's good and healing or decompressing about it. Yeah. I think it's interesting too. And you kind of touched on this is, you know, I know you, you've thought a lot about um, kind of the, the noisiness of today's digital world. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, to your point, this, this need to, you know, regardless of your kind of approach or, or, you know, tradition to intentionally create space for self-care. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd say you're cutting to the heart of this is somewhat what we do with Alta. We want to help people kind of read life, read the waters of life. Like we would the waters of a stream and the beautiful thing about fly fishing is it just gives us so many parallels and metaphors that we can pull from, you know, that may be, you know, in these days, maybe that's one of the things I appreciate the most is just how many parallels there are. Um, but to get away, just to let the RPMs come down, uh, you know, this has been proven like we think differently. Clarity is formed differently. 
um, et cetera. So we, you know, our theme this year is uh, we're going to talk about rhythm equals six plus one. And this is backing a lot of science and, and some of the books that are coming out. But, you know, we really need one day that's different than the other six in the week where we're, where, you know, we're just on all the time. And I think that's what the smartphones, I think the, the, the technology is great as it is in so many ways. It's connected us or grabbed us or hooked us that we never come down. Right. And so we need a day and the sciences are, are, are finally saying like people like we need to we need to chill. Right. And we need to be about some different kinds of activities at least one day a week because it just restores us. You know, with Alter, we say it restores your soul, restores your life. And so we're, we're, we're able to give tips and skills and tools and stuff for people to do that. We just don't want to say, here's what you should do. We want to equip people with the kinds of things that actually help them live life going forward in a, in a much healthier way. Yeah, it's an interesting thing in terms of, you know, I don't know, you and I, I think, are probably relatively close to the same age. So we know about life before smartphones and computers. Uh, and and so it's always funny because when I talk to people about it, I say, you know, the, the phone is not inherently bad. It's a tool, right. And it's a shovel and I can either Mm -hmm. hit you on the head or I can dig a hole. Right. Um, but, but I do think, you know, the technology, um, has made it infinitely more difficult to, you know, I think people always had problems with intentionality, um, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you eat too much or whatever it is. But I think the technology has made it infinitely uh, worse to to be, a, or infinitely harder to be intentional in your day to day life. No, I think you're right, and I, I don't even know if I'd call it distraction. Maybe we are intentional, but we just, you know, there's just so many. Whether it's your work feed and emails that you know we have access to twenty four seven, you throw in some social media, you throw in other stuff, and. You know, I'm not against that stuff, but I mean, it's built in a way that it keeps us tethered to it. Um, you know, and so what we find is, I mean, what's what's the, I think it's 25, 2600 touches a day on our phone. Um, and for the younger generations, high school, college, maybe millennials, it's like twice that. Like, I mean, we're just, we're just so used to being tethered to things and um, you know, I remember my parents saying, go outside and play, you know, when I was bored, <laughs> you know, and so kids aren't, you know, people aren't bored so much, like every second can be is filled with stuff. And I, and I think that's had an impact. Yeah. It's interesting too. And I guess maybe the last kind of thematic thing we'll talk about before we kind of really kind of dig into alter is, you know, I think there's this amazing paradox now where, you know, we live, you know, we live in a, the time of probably the greatest abundance in the history of man. But we also have the greatest unhappiness and division that I think, you know, anyone can ever remember. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of research that points to once people have their basic living needs, right? Food, shelter, clothing, you know, and maybe a little extra. Uh, once, Once it surpasses that, there's actually an inverse relationship between uh, happiness and unhappiness right so the more we accumulate beyond that there's actually an inverse effect and again i'm not gonna trash smartphones and i'm not sure what i would do without mine but um but when you go back 10 or 15 years like you watch anxiety depression i mean it's like 
it's alarming of how this curve is just spiking upward on those things and unhappiness and it's directly connected or at least time frame to this the the technology and constantly being wired so why it's um i think amazing on so many fronts if 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 you don't manage it it will manage you maybe that's the the tagline there and i think you know because it's the water we swim in i, I tell this story at a lot of our retreats i just shared it with um Navy, a group of Navy SEALs that we were just with that uh, I said, there's, there's two young fish were swimming upstream and coming the other way was an older fish. And the older fish said, how's the water boys? And the one younger fish looked at the other and said, what the hell is water? You know, like we don't even realize the waters that were, that were actually in water. Like this is just our culture and this is so common in life that uh, it can creep in and it takes, it takes over and it has these addictive patterns built into it. And um, again, not bad, but if, but if we're not managing it, it's just amazing. I mean, it, it goes from minutes to hours all throughout our day that are just, you know, linked into it. And, and it does. I mean, the, the research has shown that, you know, the longer people spend on social media, the less happy they are. And, but I don't know if it's FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out or, or what it is, but um, I just know when we get people away and we encourage them, and we're not legalistic, we just say, if you can put that phone down, turn it off. I know you got to check in with family. There could be things going on, but if you can just reduce your time on that so that you can lift your eyes up to just pause, look, listen, observe what's going on around you. I, I said, trust me, Mr. I think you're going to find something good and something that you've been longing for. Uh, but not everyone does, and you know we don't beat them up for it. But those that do, I know they find a. I think they find a great blessing in just unplugging, even just for a few days. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? Because I mean, I think you know the downside of um, of the tech is that it actually, you know, you're not present, um, mm-hmm. and I think it, it really negatively impacts your ability to to be empathetic and to live in community. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you kind of have this artificial sure. digital community. Yeah. And you know what, what, what the only common denominator um, there's, there's uh, actually psychologists started diagnosing this. They called it crowded loneliness that you've got so many relationships. The only thread of connection is you, which puts you at the center of everything. And I just don't think that's how we were meant to live. Right. True community has, I, I'm giving, to others and there's this give and exchange. So when we kind of curve inward or when it just the focal point is us, I think most of human history has proven that's never a good recipe for anybody, including culture or even so civilizations. Yeah. And so it's interesting. So Eric, when did you kind of first realize that fly fishing could be a vehicle for your ministry? Yeah, that's a good question. I um I guess I didn't consciously think about it of all the, the different fly fishing trips and stuff I did with people until there, I had two experiences. I had one, I, I fished with, um, I was invited through a series of relationships to fish with some veterans. And when I say veterans, these were like kids in their mid twenties who had just gotten out of Afghanistan and Iraq and a lot of PTSD. And there was, a, this was in Alaska and this, um, this gentleman would just put together, you know, kind of these young veterans that were struggling or just needed someone to invest in them. And he would bring a counselor or a pastor 
And he would just say, hey, your job is to just fish or hunt alongside these guys for the week. And he goes, watch. He goes, about day three or four, they'll start opening up because uh, he goes, the wilderness has the power to unwind the soul. And he was absolutely right. And so, you know, we were equipped to know what we could do and, you know, what was outside of our expertise, but just to receive these guys. And I just watched it play out with person after person of just, you get it, go, you go back to nature and creation, right? Like it just, it, it just unwound these guys, but it takes time and space to just let that dust settle. And then um, a few years after that, I was asked to just help raise, do some charity events for an organization called Young Life. They're passionate about coming alongside kids that are kind of on the fringes and and so forth. And so one of their board members I was a friend with, he, he said, Hey, Eric, I'll pay, I'll pay all your expenses. If you could get a group of, you know, people in capacity, I'm outside uh, Chicago in the Western suburbs. And so I live in a, a pretty affluent area. And, uh, but they were trying to get people out to catch the vision for young life and hopefully they'd be generous and, and allocate resources to that. And I, I, I told my friend, I was like, I said, wait a minute, you want me to go on a fishing adventure with my friends and you're going to pay it all, pay for it all. And it's going to help a good cause. I'm like, I'm all in. And so I did that for a couple of years, but I just, every year I was watching the, the kinds of conversations and there was no program. Like we would get up, have a great breakfast at a great lodge and we would go fish for the day and come back, eat a great dinner. And, but I was watching the discussions and I was watching day one, day two, day three, like, just how people were opening up. And I was remembering these young veterans that I was with. And I just felt so convicted thinking we are missing the opportunity because when we get people away and the dust settles, they are so open and hungry to, um, to just get life right and, uh, and to share their burdens and to see what other people think about that. And so that just rattled around in my head, honestly, for probably four years um, and it was maybe five, five and a half years ago that I dropped my son off when he was in high school um, at his volleyball practice. And I'd always go to this little pub where there was never anyone. I'd usually take my computer so I could work and do stuff. But I just distinctly remember hearing, pull out your computer and start typing. And I pounded out five or six pages, which would become kind of the altar manifesto. And when I finished, I was just like, wow. Where did that come from? But I think it was the convergence of so many things I had learned, you know, as a pastor coming alongside countless people, a lot of them leaders and influencers in their own right. These experiences I've had and just this love and joy of fly fishing and watching the impact it was having, like all of that, those streams converged. And uh, and so I met with a, a few people and just kind of vomited on them all that I had typed and said, help me make sense of this. Like something is stirring and I'm not sure what it is. And, and one of those people were Jason Randall. I heard him speak at our local crowd unlimited chapter and I'd never heard of Jason. I bought his book and, and uh, I was reading the introduction and he just kind of had this, thank God, thank God language. And then it said Woodstock, Illinois, which is just about an hour for me. He's in the Northwest suburbs of Chicago. And I just thought, man, no trout guru lives in outside Chicago. <laughs> Aren't they all out West or East or Michigan? And so I called Jason and I said, Hey man, I'm about an hour from you and something's been put on my heart. I would, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. I'll drive to you if you'll, if you'll give me an hour. And 
And by the end of that hour, Jason said, you need to lead one of these trips or retreats and I'm going to help you do it. He goes, send me some flyers. And I said, Jason, I don't have flyers. Like I just have an idea. I was going to spend the next year doing the market research, the responsible way to see maybe everyone's already doing this, right? Do I just contribute to someone else? And and Jason said, Eric, no one is doing what you're doing at the level you're talking about it. He goes, you need to do this and I'm going to help you do it, which is one of Jason's great gifts. He's, he's helped so many people kind of get started in the industry. And, and so he said, send me flyers. And I said, Jason, I don't have flyers. He said, well, send me something. And so it was about five months after that, we did the first altar retreat under that name. And, you know, it wasn't a, an official 501c3. We're a nonprofit. It wasn't any of that. Like I was just feeling like I was being unfaithful if I didn't do something with this. And now I got this guy who's, you know, a big name in the industry saying I should do it. So I was just trying to keep up with what was going on and, and surprised at just how fast it grew and where it is today. Yeah, yeah very, very neat. And can you kind of, uh, for folks that aren't familiar, kind of put an even finer point on kind of like, you know, you, you know, Jason talks you into doing the first one, kind of like what the entire enterprise looks like right now. Yeah, so we um, we host retreats, trips, fishing trips, and we call them retreats all over the country. Uh, we'll do 14 this year. And, and really our heart and passion is we want to help people read the waters of life. And so we have a few ways to help people do that. We start every retreat kind of on that premise. And I always have a theme. So last year we talked about resilience. Um, and so this is where we've done some work with uh, Navy Special Warfare and Navy SEALs doing resilience training with them. They kind of keyed in on it. Um, so we spent last year like, how do you build a resilient life? This year we're going to talk about rhythm. And how do you live a life in rhythm in such a way that it actually fuels or keeps refilling your life instead of a, a life that can get fragmented and we're chasing things and but we just feel more and more worn out as we go. So we're going to help people address the rhythms of their life. Um, yeah, so we, we do retreats all over the country. Um, they're usually um, about four days. We kick, typically we. We kick things off on a Wednesday night with a great dinner. And part of my passion is we want to take care of people. We want people to rest well, sleep well, eat well, and we want to have great fishing adventures. Um, and so we, that, that's a priority on all of our, our lists. And so we will, we'll uh, typically kick things off every day with a breakfast. We'll have kind of a little teaching or a, a discussion time, just, you know, keying in on a topic. Then we give people time just to reflect, like personal reflection time to do some writing, reading, writing, whatever they need to do around the topic. And then we go fish for the whole day and we have a great day and we come back and have some appetizers, a drink if they desire, a great dinner. And then we just kind of recap the day and uh, we want to hear fishing stories and hear a lot of laughter and, uh, and how we were all humbled on the stream usually. And, uh, and then we... But then I want to help people connect fishing as a metaphor. So we kind of create this living metaphor as we go with from getting snagged to the knots and craziness we experience, you know, on the stream to getting it right. Like everything can speak in fly fishing. So we have some fun with that. And, and then we just want to help crystallize, you know, out of the reflection time to teaching time to help people just put another puzzle piece in place each day that they're going to carry with them forward. And we hit repeat for several days and, 
And it all moves towards an end where our desire is people would have a, a pretty clear plan on some next steps and things that they can practically live into uh, once they leave the retreat. So we want to get people a great fishing trip experience, but we want to give them stuff that's going to to move them forward in life, whatever that may be. So everything from their own faith, you know, we talk about merging faith and fly fishing. So that really uh, is important to some, but, but some people it's the relational elements, it's relational or physical. And, and what I love is we have the kind of staff team because I, I do life coaching, leadership coaching, soul care coaching. We have another staff that does that. We have another one of our staff that does, uh, we call it spiritual direction, but it just helps people see like, so where is God in the midst of all of this? And it's kind of a reflective practice, but wherever people are ending, we have the kind of team to help them design a plan to live into it for the next three months, six months, the next year. And we want to, we want to keep following up with people because, you know, you know, we were at, I think seven of the fishing shows this year. And I tell people, like I said, you can have a great fishing adventure with all kinds of people and places. And I'd encourage you to do that. But if you want to, you want to have an adventure that's also going to shape your life, not just on that week, but for the months to come. I was like, that's what we do. And uh, it's just fun. To, uh, we're in the business of serving people. So we just, we love it. Yeah. Very, very neat. And I know, uh, you know, one of the things you've grown into and you have kind of a particular point of emphasis is that you do uh, retreats for uh, chaplains and pastors and I was yeah. kind of kind of curious about, you know, what was the unique need that you saw there and why did you think that that was so important? Yeah, 40 to 50 percent of what we do is devoted to chaplains and, and, and pastors. And some of it has just come out of I, I come out of that background. So I'd say I'm not the I'm not the prototypical pastor maybe in some ways. But but the statistics coming out of COVID, they started paying a lot of attention to this. And, and I said COVID didn't cause any of these statistics, but but here's where we're at. Um, 40 to 50 percent of pastors are seriously considering leaving the ministry, not just their churches, but leaving the ministry altogether. They're burned out. They're done. And there's a lot of reasons why that why that is. But um but you could, you know, and especially with pastors under 40, 50 percent of them are wanting to just say, like, hey, I've given my time. I'm done. Like, I'm miserable. Like, I can be happy doing other things. Um, 80 percent of churches in America right now are, are uh, stuck or declining. And they estimate that 50 percent of those will close their doors in the next 10 years. That was before COVID. And so when you start putting some of these statistics together, you know, and I talked to, I mean, I've got so many friends and some of them don't come from a faith or church background. Like nobody wants to see an America where the church becomes absent. And we're on a trajectory that if we don't pay attention to how to just get people healthy and how to get churches healthy, but healthy people lead healthy churches. And, you know, we've seen too many bad stories in the news of where, you know, pastors are having their own implosions on a variety of different things. And, and so we just kind of draw the line in the stand, sand and say, you know, Alter Fly Fishing is committed to changing the story and statistics of pastors in America. And um, whatever we're doing, however we've crafted it, um, we have had not one pastor leave the ministry. And about 70 percent of the pastors we've had over the last four years are reporting moderate to severe burnout. And so part of it, like we're almost a little bit of an intervention just to help, you know, hit 
help people hit pause and say, let's put a plan together to help you get healthy and restore. But it's not just pastors. We're doing this with business leaders. We have a, um, a guy who's been the, the CEO of a couple different fortune 100 and 500 companies in America who said, Eric, what you're talking about pastors because that's, that's the story of my whole C-suite of officers in my life. <laughs> and when he said that, he goes, I need to go on one of your retreats. So he signed up like that day to come on one of our trips. Cause you know, he just needs some time away, but he wants to, he wants to recalibrate. And um, so, yeah, we just feel, you know, and part of that's unique to my story. I just come out of that background, but you know, with other experiences I've had and, you know, different seasons of life. I feel like I've got this gift mix and experience mix that part of my responsibility is just to come alongside people that create ripples of influence in the lives of others and say, let's get you right. Because when you're right, when that core and that center is right, the ripples of impact from your life, I mean, can change a whole lot, you know, starting with your family, but moving outward to your company or whatever industry you're in. And so that's part of what Alter wants to serve is just, uh, to help create a greater story in people's lives that create greater stories far beyond them, whether it's in the home in the church or in the marketplace. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, cause we were talking before you, we started recording and, you know, no matter how fulfilling it is, if you are a caregiver, right. Whether you're mm-hmm. a pastor or a parent or however you do that, whether you're an executive, um, it, it's draining, Right. Yeah, it is draining and we have to we have to be able to fill fill up what's getting drained out of us. And I think maybe that's what I've seen over the last 10, 20 years. Um is that the 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 filling is not happening at the rate that it's being deposited. And sometimes that's from our own distractions and how we're investing our lives, but part of it is just taking a lot and and maybe we've gotten away from some of the practices and things that help us actually be healthy and whole so that we have all that we need to give for the sake of others. Yeah. It's a marathon. It's not a race, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and so, you know, obviously, you know, you're a, a Christian oriented ministry, but, you know, I also know that you welcome other faith traditions or no faith traditions. I was just kind of curious if you could share with our listeners, you know, how you interact with those folks. Yeah, well, a great example is we just finished up. Um, we do we call it spiritual resilience training with uh, special operation forces. We just had Navy Special Warfare and Navy SEALs and SWICs with us uh, just last week on the San Juan River, which is this is the second year we've done that. But that's under the chaplaincy with the military, right? So they're not, they, you know, spirituality is a very general thing. So how we approach it is say hey, we're we're going to pull from some of the wisdom and historical literature of the Bible, like that's going to be a frame of context. We don't cram it down anyone's throat, uh, but we just use it as an illustration to get us onto some of the topics that we need to address in life. And I just say, Hey, if you're okay with that and you're down with that, then, you know, come fish with us. Like you're, we're, we're not in the business of making anyone feel uncomfortable. In fact, we always call it the rules engagement or the, the regulations for our retreat, you know, on night one after dinner, we just want to make sure it's a safe place. And we say, Hey, this is a place where you can take risks. You can share real things. And we're, we're, we're in it together. We're not going to put anyone on the spot or make anyone uncomfortable, but, and people need that, right? It's part of what we do is we want to create the kinds of environments where good things can happen. 
And I think that's what I've learned over the years in a variety of contexts of just how do you create the environment where people can be real? Because um, there's far too many places where we're posing or trying to project an image or manage our image. And I just want to say, like, you can leave all that behind. Like, we can just be real when we get together. We have four or five days and it's a gift. So let's just go there. So, um, yeah, we come out of a Christian background and we'll use the Bible as the, as the framework. But, you know, we had guys from multiple faith traditions just last week and 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 they they told me afterwards to say you know the thing we were nervous about like we knew your background they just said thank you for how you handled it and just bringing everybody into the conversation they said it was really good and meaningful and impactful so um that you know those are the kind of stories we want to hear and if you are a person of faith or come from a christian faith like you're just going to have i think another added dimension or a deeper level that you're going to connect with so it it works for everybody we just say if you're if you're open to that you know, then you're going to have a great experience. But it's kind of that, you know, we want to bridge, we want to have a foot in both both uh, sides of the stream, so to speak, that, you know, we do want to bring, pay attention to that faith perspective, but it's that holistic picture of life that we want to help people key in on. Yeah, it's interesting too, you know, because I think the the creating the safe space, I think we're getting kind of to a place in a lot of instances where it's almost impossible to create a space that's safe enough to do the work that people need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm thankful. One of my first graduate degrees I did was in a degree in, in like group life or small group leadership where really what you, it was a master of how do you get people together in a way that helps them open up and share. And so a big part of my, my life has been dedicated to that. So you know, I, I may forget all, all the X's and O's of what I learned in the classroom, but like um, along the way, I've just learned how do we create those kinds of environments to just let the the walls come down, the RPMs come down, and just say, "Hey, let's get let's have an adventure together and let's share some real things." Yeah, and it's interesting too because I think you found it Alter in 2019, and then of course you, we all had COVID go <laughs> blessed a few years there. But you know, <laughs> I, I always think I always like to ask people with relatively new ventures to kind of share kind of their greatest challenge or surprise in kind of building out their business, right? Yeah, I would say when I started this, I thought I was just going to cash in a few vacation weeks a year and lead some of these altar retreats because it was just a great outlet for me. I love impacting people and try to bring meaning into people's lives and to mix that with fly fishing. And and then it started to grow even during COVID. Like we still did some retreats and maybe not quite as aggressively as what the demand was for that. But I, it was more so my wife when I went to her and said, I said, Suanna, I, I think we're being called. Like I need to step out. Like, I need to devote my full time to this. Like there's just that much opportunity and need out there. <laughs> and then I had her, her attention when it was just a little side thing with the secure paycheck, you know, she was fine with it. And then she goes, what are you doing? You know, we have two kids in college, right? And I just said, Hey, it's a great opportunity for God and the mission of what we're about to provide for it. So yeah, what I didn't expect is how quickly it would grow, you know, through Jason and many others, you know, we started showing up the fly fishing shows and we just, you know, I, I feel like we were adopted into the community and the family there. You know, what people don't see is we do a lot of work behind the scenes, just coming alongside people in the industry who are navigating challenges of life of, you know, everything from 
hardships with death and cancer that's shown up to divorces and other things. And so we just have the opportunity to love and serve people there. And, and we're grateful for that. And, and just the growth of Alter, what's, what's, which caught me by surprise is, you know, as a pastor, Marvin, I love to, to preach about faith. I love telling you to step out in faith and pursue courageous dreams. But when you actually do it yourself, it's hard, you know, because we're a 501c3. We only do what we're doing because people believe in what we're doing and they help fund what we're able to do. And uh, I forgot how scary that is. And I just kept thinking, what have, what have I been doing to these poor people? Telling them to making them feel guilty because they're not stepping out. Now I'm doing it and I'm scared to death half the time. So it's been a, it's been a good humbling experience. But when you know you're called to something and you know it's the direction you should go and you see the impact you're having in people's lives, like it, it fuels me every day to get up, you know, and say, so let's keep extending those invitations, whether it's the, come alongside what we're doing, whether it's with donors or people that come on trips, like the whole thing is about impacting people's lives. And, you know, I'll give the best of my time and energy to, to do that. And the fact that we get to do it through fly fishing now, um, man, it's like a cherry on top. I love it. Yeah. But you know, it's super powerful. I mean, I, I you know, I, I got two, I guess a 20 and a almost 15 year old sons. And, you know, it's funny you talk about that because I always tell them to watch what people do and not what people say. Um, mm-hmm. so I think there's a tremendous amount of credibility to eat your own cooking, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I can't believe how big your son has gotten. I remember him three or four years ago, you know, buying all these big flies and running all around the fly shows. And then he's become a, he's become a, a young man right before our eyes. Yeah. And he's, he'll be, uh, I guess, 15 in about a month. Um, and he's about 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. And then yeah. I've got, a, yeah. And then I've, my, <laughs> Uh, so there's an interesting competition between the two of them and, um, it's funny stuff. Of course. Yeah. And, and so, you know, also too, you know, talk to me about kind of your long-term vision for Alter, you know, where do you want to be in like five years or 10 years? Marvin, that's the question that's sitting before us. And so people will ask, like, Hey, as I think of you guys, or if I'm praying for you guys, what, 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 what would it be? And honestly, we're at a position where we're, so we need wisdom and discernment, um, you know, we, we were casting a pretty wide net. I have a heart for men and leaders. We were doing women's trips. We were doing father-son trips. You know, we had this niche in with um, the Navy SEALs, um, all the stuff we're doing with pastors. And um, But I feel like we're, we're kind of in this season where we're going to narrow the focus. And the big grid for us is going to be where, where are we seeing the most impact? And all of those areas, I think, are important, but um, I think, you know, because I, I just have such a passion for leaders. You know, my story has been characterized around coming alongside leaders, whether it's in athletics or the marketplace and, you know, in the church where I serve in Chicago, I mean, we have some of the nation's best CEOs and executives and so forth. So I've always been around leaders, but I've seen the impact healthy leaders can have, not just within their own families and companies, but around the world. And so for whatever reason, my story has intersected those kinds of people. So I mean, my heart for Alter is that we would be doing more and more um, trips, retreats, coming alongside people that have exponential influence because we think those people can really change the world. So um, 
number of trips. I don't know. I can't do 50 trips a year. Uh, we've just added a couple staff this last year. So I feel like we have a year or two to do 14, 15 uh, weeks a year. But as we add a few more staff or as those staff are able to replicate what we do, I mean, whether we're doing 20 or 30 you know, trips around the country of various kinds or we're franchising out. I, I Honestly, I don't have clarity yet, but I'm amazed that, um, you know, so I would just say my, my prayer every day is that God would provide the people, the provision and everything we need for the organization. And I'm going to hold it with an open hand and watch and seek and trust and discern uh, in the directions we need to go. So I'm excited where it's going. It's, I feel like I have a tiger by the tail half the time. You know, we just came off this Navy SEAL trip and they said, you need to be doing four or five of these a year. We need couples trips. We need parent child trips. We need more trips for our, our soldiers and our personnel, you know, and this is just the Navy SEALs. They said, and then you open it up to other special ops. And so we're going to explore some of that because I just see the impact we're having with these men, at least in that, in the military realm. So I could see that growing exponential. We're doing some intriguing things with leaders, business owners, CEOs, and and so forth with boards and so forth. So I think that piece is going to grow. And then we're always going to major, you know, you know, 40 to 50% of our retreats on pastors who are just needing refreshed or burning out just to bring healing and restoration there. So, um, it's it's a good problem to to have that you feel like there's more demand than you have time for right now. But but I just feel the responsibility to really be to move with wisdom and discernment, both on pace and and what we pursue. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? Very un-American concept that less may be more, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. and that you may need to say no. I think there's a really um, great Steve Jobs quote about. You know how he's more proud of the thousands of things he said no to, so that he can make the handful of great things that he made. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I'm wired for more. Right? Like I'm kind of a, I've got my own sense of driving personality, so I love the opportunity. But but I do sense that strategic yeses and strategic nos are the the next couple of years of Alter's future. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 exciting and a burden you know, at the same time, but it's a good burden. Yeah. And, uh, you know, before we go tonight, I rumor is that you had a career as a professional baseball player. <laughs> yeah. If it was a little better, we may not be talking today, but, uh, you'd, you'd buy my Jersey, but, uh, no, I, I, uh, you know, I played multiple sports in high school, but baseball was always the main. And so I had a college scholarship and then I signed and played with the Yankees in the Yankee system for three years. And it was during the, it was in the nineties when they had their dynasty run. I came up with Derek Jeter and Mike Lowell, who went on to be a world series MVP with the Red Sox as a third baseman and, and many other guys. So I, I, I love those years. And, but the problem was Bernie Williams played center field and that was my position. And Mr. Steinbrenner, uh, in those days, he was buying superstars. <laughs> so we were stockpiled in the minor leagues. And so I never quite made it to TV, but I got fairly close. You throw in a couple injuries and and so forth. But uh, I love the game. And, you know, my wife was so funny. My son played, you know, baseball. I coached, you know, the whole travel ball and that, all that stuff. But I think the kids were maybe nine or 10 years old. I'm coaching third base in a Little League game. And 
And afterwards, my wife said, she goes, you look so intense when you're coaching third base. What are you thinking about? And I must have rattled off 20 or 30 things like the matrix. You remember how all those like numbers and letters are just like filtering down on the matrix. And I just described all this. And, uh, and she goes, what's the matter with you? And I was like, it's just the game is a different, like there's so many variables. Maybe that's why I love fly fishing, right? It's solving the puzzle of all these variables. And she goes, she goes, what's the matter with you? I said, I said, that happens every single pitch because every pitch, it's a different scenario, you know, with pitch count and are we stealing and what's the other coach doing? And um, anyway, so we had a lot of, a lot of fun, but you know, I love the game and, you know, it, it instilled a work ethic and that was the first thing. Baseball for me made me realize that people are people. Right when you're in the locker room with Wade Boggs and Paul O'Neill and Derek Jeter and all of those guys, Andy Pettit, and you realize you know they've got families and they've got stuff they're wrestling with, and you know they may have a lot of fame and more dollars than I did behind my name, but people were people, you know, and I carry that with me. I worked in uh, business for a little while after I got out of baseball, and it was the same scenario. Like I, I just found myself being comfortable with influencers and leaders because everyone was facing the same stuff, but too many people acted weird around them and they didn't have enough people that would just be for them, you know, instead of asking something for them that just generally cared for them. And so I guess that was maybe as I look back, that was kind of, it was shaping me to, to come alongside all kinds of people, you know, not to be weird or intimidated, but just say like, Hey, I get it. Like, how are you doing? And to really care about them and, and maybe that's that's a that's grown into Alter's experience of what we do is that you know no matter who you are the CEO of XYZ company or a pastor or a Navy SEAL or you know a mom that's coming on one of our women's trips like we're just going to love you and relate to you right where you're at and uh, and hopefully it's refreshing refreshing for people. Yeah, I think that's a really kind of critical thing. And you and I know, because we've talked multiple times before, that that, you know, finding people where they are is so important. Yep, yep. And uh, so before I uh, I let you hop this evening, Eric, you want to share with us any kind of upcoming events or kind of any alter news that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, we've got a, a few opportunities for going on trips, retreats this summer. We've got... Um, We'll be up with Dave Blackburn on the Kootenai Angler, um, June 14 through 18. We just call it Reading the Waters of Life. This is an open retreat to anybody. Um, I think we have a few spots left for that. We're doing a Soul of a Leader retreat July 5th through 9th. This will be in Buena Vista, Colorado. Um, and the target for that is really leaders that have leadership platforms. You know, we're not saying it's a CEO trip or business owner trip, but we've got people like that coming. But we just say, hey, if you're if you feel like you're a leader that has influence in a broad way, like we want to in, just invest into you and, and give you some time. Um, and then we have a, a women's retreat the week after that, July 12 through 16. And that really out of our 14 trips, that's what is uh, available this year. And you can find us at alter fly fishing, a L T a R fly fishing.org. You can find more information there. And uh, Marvin, what I've been surprised, what I didn't expect is how many, we just call them private retreats, but how many people are saying, hey, I've got a group of people I want to bring. It could be from their company, could be from their church or a network of people that they're 
we're working ahead. You know, we don't have a home base. We work with a lot of the the outfitters and lodge owners around the country and uh, which makes it a logistical nightmare. So that's a big part of what I do is just how do we sort this out year in, year out on, you know, 14, 15 places in multiple locations. But we have people saying, hey, I, I've got 10 or 12 that I want to bring. And so we, we're actually building 2024, 2025 schedule around people that are bringing groups. And I guess that, that's been one of the surprises. I didn't expect that um, as much. So I just said, you know, if any of the listeners out there, if you have a heart or desire, you want to learn more, you know, you can, it's easy to get a hold of me and, and we can talk about whether it's an individual or maybe you do have a group, but, you know, we have to get a year or two out ahead on those to, to make that happen. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I mean, I would imagine you're going to see more and more of that because I think, you know, people were already working virtually before COVID, but COVID has absolutely accelerated that process. Um, yeah. And I think it's a very, creates a very, very difficult environment for connection and mentorship. Yeah. And and so I think uh, I would imagine you'll see a lot more people asking for that in the future. Yeah, we're open to it. You know, we're, we're listening. And again, I think that's part of the discerning process, but people need people. I mean, we, we know that. And, and I think COVID certainly exposed that, but um, you know, for teams to thrive, um, you know, they have to be together they have to experience things and the work, the office doesn't supply all that that's needed. And so we're seeing you know, more of that build and, but, you know, to get a team away and to share life in a unique way, like it's, I mean, we've already seen it be just a powerful binder and builder for teams and, you know, and we're open, you know, the, the nice thing is, you know, I think I shared with you at one of the fishing shows, I said, you know, when you see a little gray on the muzzle, means you're either an old faithful dog or you've been around the block enough times that you've learned a thing or two. So we've got the kind of team that we can really customize work with people or groups to really maximize what, what, what is it they need or their teams need from some time away. And, and so, you know, it, it, we have our own adventure just working with people and we, we love what we're doing. Yeah, very, very neat. And I know you mentioned uh, your website and I'll drop that in the show notes, but I imagine you're on social media like everybody else too. Uh, you want to share those handles with folks? Yep. It's just uh, Ultra Fly Fishing on Instagram. It's uh, at Ultra Fly Fishing Adventures. And so you can find us there and, you know, we try to post regularly. I'm not the world's best social media, but we hired intentionally to have people that pay attention to that. So they, they keep everything updated, you know, and we send out, we've got a, a bi-monthly newsletter that we send out that just keeps you updated on what's going on with Vulture. But then I also write some hopefully thought provoking pieces once a month around some of the content we're doing, what we're doing with retreats, um, devotions or other articles that um, hopefully just make people pause and scratch their head and say, yeah, I needed to hear that or I need to think more on that. So you can get all that through, through the website as well. And, you know, and, and as we said, you know, we're a 501 C three. So honestly, what's, what's amazed me over these years are the people both that I know. And sometimes I don't know that say, Hey, we believe in what we're doing or we want to get behind what you do. We want to support organizations that are having impact. And, and so if that's anyone's heart or desire, again, just reach out to me. I'd be happy to have that conversation and and so forth that you can give through the website but whether it's donor advice funds or other grants and so forth that we we accept all of that and 
we apply it all to what we're doing. We have a very low overhead cost because we want to impact people's lives and see all that go into the ministry and impact that we do. So we appreciate it. Uh, very neat. Well, listen, Eric, I really appreciate you spending some time with me this evening. Yeah, thank you, Marvin. It's good to finally do this and always enjoy seeing you at the shows and wherever else we happen to cross paths. Yeah, I suspect our paths will cross again soon. Take care and be well. Thanks, Marvin. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating review in the podcast of your choice. And check out our Nymphing series with Jason Randall. Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, everybody.